Okay, guys, I, uh, Carol Holter is handing out just the uh, little cheat sheets there. Um, we are going to, so uh, last week I asked you guys to read the intro and the first chapter, but really we're not even going to get out of the intro. The, uh, well, hopefully, first you, uh, first of all, those who, who were able to read it, um, any kind of initial reactions? Everything I do is an idol. Yeah. Everything you do is an idol. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of depressing, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, no, uh, this is good. You, the book cover. No, I mean, she did actually mention Sarah, Sarah Palin, though, later in the intro. Uh, yeah, Holly. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a, uh, in fact, uh, I, I didn't, hopefully you guys didn't get bogged down in that. Because sometimes, you know, when someone says something that you don't like or you is contrary to your belief, you have a tendency to, not you, everybody. Well, exa well okay, good. Yeah, I know, a bit of irony there, right? So, uh, you know, if you're a big supporter of, you know, John McCain and Sarah Palin, you, you know, you might have been ruffled a little bit. And if you're a big supporter of Obama, then you might have been ruffled likewise. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, and that's important. But, you know, one of the things, too, though, is that in her discussion of those, you know, that whole Republican-Democratic thing was it wasn't so literal. It was a platform to talk to some, about something larger. Uh, but it was still about that, but that was, it wasn't only about that. So, I, you know, anyways, I, I run across that a lot, especially if, uh, like with actors in movies, if I recommend a, like, uh, like a George Clooney movie. I, this was a very, I remember this very well. I recommended a George Clooney movie, and somebody said, well, it wasn't really his movie. He was in the movie, and they said, well, I'm not going to watch that. I was like, well, it's like one of my favorite movies. Oh, brother, where art thou? Ah, uh, George Clooney's in it. I was like, okay. Um, yeah, well, it's, this, is the whole, this is the whole point, though, isn't it? Is that, uh, you know, this person had an issue with George Clooney and his political views, which, of course, then meant that, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't listen. Anyways, so... Uh, Well, that's exactly right. Yep. Yeah, you know, and well, this is actually this Kirby's point actually comes into what we are going to discuss today is that idols demand uh, certainty, no questions. Idols are very kind of black and white. Um, where I, I would argue is faith is, has lots of room for doubt, uncertainty, and darkness. Um, Okay, but anyways, but before we get to that, Kirby mentioned the book cover, and uh, the book cover is, is, I like it, it's very, it's very nice. In the back, I don't know if you guys actually, I have a tendency to actually go to the back of the book and start backwards. So, oh yeah, I'm, I'm unapologetic, I will read how the, uh, the ending comes, and I don't care. Anyways, with this, so I often will read the footnotes and the bibliography first. Well, there is a little section about the cover in the back of the book, and uh, it's re it's real nice. Um, yeah. Anyways, so it, it's uh, if you if you hadn't had a chance, you should check that out. I don't know if these are actually all real apps, by the way. I mean, obviously, you recognize some of them, right? The YouTube and um, 
the I don't know what the the musical note one was that uh, what Twitter. Anyways, I, I don't know if that means anything to you because you might not. I don't I don't have a lot of apps, so I try to I try to delete ones that are that come on my phone with it. So, but I can't do it. I don't have Facebook, but I can't get rid of Facebook. I don't have a Twitter. I can't get just taking up space on my phone. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, just a review, though, is, uh, you know, oh, oh, my word. Review. I should say, what is an idol? Uh, an idol is anything that stands between you and God. I don't know if you remember, we talked about material objects or ideas or concepts. The, um, and and uh, in, ch in chapter one, she kind of brings that out, this idea of, you know, standing. So when God, in the first commandment, says you should have no other gods uh, before, before me or besides me, that is a located word, but it's also a conceptual word. Then the graven images, uh, you know, graven images and being made in the image of God. When we think of idols purely in materialistic terms, then an image can, you know, by, by default is just out of the question when we respect to meditating on, on God or learning who God is or... Um, but Jesus kind of helps us out with that because Jesus is the image of God or is the icon of God, according to Colossians 1.15. So in being the icon of God, we see Jesus who is human, but at the same time we see more because we see God. And that's John 14.9. So images are not necessarily the problem, but images that hold captive our imagination are the problem. You know, they're idols. And then we kind of discuss a little bit the distinction between icons and idols. And we'll be doing that through the rest of the book, just as, because it's helpful. So icons, when I use the word icon, I, I mean it literally like icon, but also in a more general way also. And what I mean by that is icons expand our imagination, thus our windows into the divine. Or you could say even windows into... Um, the invisible, or however you want to say it, into more. But idols are mirrors, okay? And that, in uh, Elizabeth Scalia mentioned that at the end of the introduction. Okay, so I have a long quote from page four, just in case you weren't able to read the book, because I... Uh, I, this really kind of set off a lot of things for me. Is um, So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Uh, I began to worry that those making such comments on the form were not, uh, who were not bad people were unwilling to pull back the curtain and look deeply at a policy if it meant disturbing their deepest hope that safety, security, and apple pie contentment would soon be restored. Why? In a word, anxiety. They wanted their fears quelled and their ideas affirmed, and they were going in a dangerous direction to get the security they felt they were entitled to. If there was idolatry going on, I suspected that idol was not W himself, nor was the idol their hope. Rather, I decided, it was the anxiety beneath it, lying coiled like a snake under the mist that the America they had known might be over. It was in service to this strange god of anxiety, which hissed of threats to everything familiar, sure and safe, and played to naturally protective instincts. All right, so um, in, in, this, in this little section right here, she brings out how this, so far, uh, in case you didn't know, there's, uh, this, this book idea came from kind of this, this form, uh, you know, uh, internet form, discussion form. They used to call them list serves. I think way back when in the you know back in the old days. Now I think they would just call them blogs. But where this woman who was a uh, Sarah Sarah Palin type of person asked some questions about the government policies related to kind of the Patriot Act, and she basically was run out of town for questioning this sort of thing, because how could she 
why, what does she have to worry? Because George W. was a Christian man, and in a Christian man's hands, everything would be okay. So, um, now that, that whole scenario gets played out on many levels with respect to idolatry. And kind of at the basis of that is uh, idols are mirrors, as mirrors never call into question a person's place in the world, but simply affirm it. Um, you know, because if you look in the mirror, you're there. And as we kind of discussed last week, we like looking at ourselves for a variety of reasons. We like looking at ourselves because we, we like to make sure that we're, we're here. And we like to ground ourselves. We want to know we're in the world. We're here. Okay? And that, that's a good thing. But as we will see in a little bit, that goes very, very wrong very quickly. See, the, uh, and then the quote from page 8, voters over-identified with whichever idol best reflected them back to themselves. They loved the ideas they were hearing because the ideas did not challenge but only affirmed. So as you as as I, idolatry as as idolatry is, is always within within the grasp of us. And by virtue of this, the person now is actually trapped by the idol. This is kind of the strange irony. That as we like we have these images of idols who we believe are God, right? They're in place of God, but we actually call them God. Those are actually, obviously, reflections of ourselves. But at the same time, when they reflect ourselves, all we see is ourselves and, and nothing else or no one else. So we are trapped by this gaze or this, if you want to use this mirror image again. And so when you're trapped by this gaze, and when I say trapped, I mean trapped. I mean you can't look anywhere else. You can't see anything else. All you see is, is this idol that reflects back yourself. And the way she talks about it is affirmation of your ideas, your ideologies, your place in the world, even how you view the world should be. So because of that then, there's, there's never questions. You never can ask a question because a question will disengage the mirror and will might mean that you don't see everything or you could be wrong. And of course an idol doesn't want that because it will reveal that the idol is in fact what it is. It's a, it's, it's a lie. Now, you know, with respect to that though, then the idol makes certain demands on you. And she's in a page, later on page uh, four, she said idols demand worshipers. And, and, and demand is the, the word. It demands it. Idols will, will wreak havoc on you. Okay? And what we see is actually she brings up the golden calf. Exodus chapter 32. And why don't we just turn to that. Exodus 32. So given this idea that mirrors, idols are mirrors, and when they are mirrors... They trap the person gazing them, which means then you cannot, uh, you can't question it, and then it makes certain demands on you. That might, that we might want to put those in the other order, I guess. Now that I'm talking this out, makes uh, traps the the gaze of the person seeing it, demands worship, and you can never question it. All right. So Exodus 32, it's, it's not real long. Again, you know, for most of us, we just approach, approach this materialistically. Oh, hey, this, this, this golden calf, how can they believe in a statue as their god? All right, but we need to pay attention to what they actually say of this thing. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So uh, they, have a, they have a fundamental question, right? 
I mean, kind of literally speaking, what's their question about God and the way he's working? Where is he? Or yeah, who, what's go, what gives? What's going on here? And the response to that question is what? Making something that we can see, that we can, we can touch, we can manipulate. Okay? All right, now let's keep reading. So Aaron said to them, oh, so Aaron, of course, is complicit in all this. Like, he, he probably has the same questions. All right, now that, that kind of raises questions about leaders who are, you know, who doubt. But that's beside the point. Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives or sons. Which, I don't know if that means, I don't know if my son should have an earring. But, uh. Uh, and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Or, you know, whatever it was made out of, some metal. And they said, okay, so, and this is important. And they said, so the question is, uh, Aaron is making it? Singular. But what is the pronoun? They said, so the presumption is not, not only Aaron, but everybody, okay? Uh, where am I here? Oh, they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It wasn't as if, hey, this God isn't that great. We're going to do this God. It's that, that this golden calf is what? The representation of the one who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Okay? Because I hang on to that. Um, it, it's uh, because it's the uh, Elohim. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little bit of a Hebrew play on words here. Um, and, and they make the distinction because... Uh, well, okay, so hang on, so let's slow down. Who's the one true God in Exodus, chapter 3? What's the name? Yahweh. In this one, it is uh, Elohim. Now, Elohim often is translated as a singular, though. That's just kind of a fun little thing there. So we have a distinction in Exodus, though. That, that, I don't want to get too technical, but it's, it's, it's kind of in this situation. There's two names for God. All right, uh, these are your gods, O Israel, because, I mean, how many golden calves are there? So, you know, it, right, there's only one. I mean, according to what the Bible says. So that doesn't even make sense. Unless you... Or, uh, well, it doesn't actually say that. So we just, we're just assuming there's one, but the translation, the little translation is, is God's. Okay. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, so he's giving all these proper things, right? I mean, you know, you should, you should worship God. You should, uh, you should have an altar, because if we remember from, uh, well, not that you should remember this, but we briefly mentioned it last week, Exodus 20, when we looked at the Ten Commandments, and right after the Ten Commandments, there's laws about altars. So theoretically, Aaron's doing what he should do, but he's precisely doing it in a way that is what? Uh, within his grasp. No, no, yeah, this is, all, but, but they actually have the, yeah, that's exactly right. So this is something that uh, Exodus 20, yeah, they didn't have a tabernacle, but they had the Ten Commandments and then they had these laws about altars. But then not the tabernacle. Not the tabernacle as you would know the tabernacle. Right, yeah, no, they don't have that yet. Exactly. Okay, so um, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation, said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And then this is where things really show themselves. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. You know, the word play is not like, not in the positive sense. That goes back to what we talked about in Thessalonians, if you know what I mean. 
Yep, drunken revelry, that's it. So um, anyways, so how this works out in the golden calf is really, really kind of very concrete, is that there are some fundamental questions about what's going on with, about God, the way he's working, his messenger, what is going on here? And rather than leaving room for these questions, they need this uh, certainty. Now, certainty, there's, there, we'll find out that certainty is actually positive. But certainty in the way that they can, what? They, they can control this. Well, yeah, touch in, in the way that they, they can be, uh, it can be measurable. It can, when I say manipulated, I mean insofar as it can be directed by them. Yep, they can control that. I mean, that's also, though, the normal way of worshiping in those days is in including the revelry. Well, exactly. So this is, but, but again, so this is all part and parcel of what we talked about last week. It's not the, 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 the statue itself. It's, it's all the meaning that goes along with that, that is actual idol worship. And that's what we find out reading the book. We do a lot of these, these things uh, like they used to do in the old days, but not necessarily with a statue. It's with, you know, uh, 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 well, my, my favorite chapter so far uh, and as I'm rereading it, you know, it's, it's interesting, is, is the idol of the plan. I mean, I, there's, I think that is so interesting for us to contemplate. Idols of plans. We make idols of plans. But. I wonder if Moses didn't think of this as an icon, you know? Um, well, Moses definitely didn't think of it as an icon because he went down there and smashed it to smithereens. Oh, Aaron, yeah, okay, yeah. That's exactly right. Okay, good. So this is good, though, is, is that he was showing, quote-unquote, proper devotion. He was doing, and now, if, you know, if we had time, we could read all of Exodus, at, well, maybe just from 20 to 32, and we would actually see that God said, you should do these things. You should build an altar, you should have burnt offerings, and you should, uh, you, know, ha, you know, have a feast. But the, the, but the fundamental issue here is what? He, he this idol is... There's no rooms for questions. There's no rooms for the question of, like, what's going on here? And that is the problem that's, that's going on. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's no, you can't ask any questions here. Now, of course, let's kind of play this out. What if somebody said, hey, we should be doing this? What would they say? What would, I mean, just, now this is, I mean, you can actually do this with scripture. Sometimes I don't like doing this, but that's what I meant about the they, the pronoun they. If someone were to say, I don't think this is a good idea, what would they do with that person? Well, Leslie, I think, is right. Not just ostracize them, Marilyn, but kill them. Because we will find out later, uh, actually, she quotes uh, Gregory of Nyssa about uh, concepts and idols and wonder. But there's actually more to the quote where um, idols, people kill for idols, but wonder makes you fall to your knees or something. something is, I will, we'll read it, but I, this is something very important is that people are, are willing to kill over an idol. And that is kind of the play, that, that's where it goes. Keep the questions away, but to keep the idol. The, now, this is kind of the strange thing, is that even though the idol is self-made, um, as we kind of perceive it, the idol is, is kind of telling us what to do, in a sense. Okay? And, and the idol does not want to be questioned, because the idol does not want to be revealed as a lie. And so, it will be errat- anything that questions it will be eradicated. Because idols don't give life, they take life. We'll, we'll talk about that, that whole gift giving and life giving and all that later, but Kirby and Leslie. Oh, I thought that, that the first, you know, directive that they got is taking things of value. Yeah, right. And so then that gives, that, by making that and pooling their wealth, mm-hmm. that gives them more power in the group. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Right. We, we gave up everything for that. So they would kill over that. 
Yeah. That, and this is where the scary, now I love the way she ends the introduction. She, uh, because, okay, so this is the thing about Smashing Idols. On the surface, it seems very scary. Because, you know, you, 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 you establish your entire life around this. And you actually believe this to be true. Okay? Um, but she says, you know, like a child who builds a tower only to smash it. Smashing Idols is actually fun. <laughs> it's good. And so... Um, when we, when we kind of disengage ourselves from the idol, when we actually question it, what seems to be scary at first is actually just a vapor. It's, 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 an, it's not really true. It's nothing. And then the truth, you know, theoretically speaking, hopefully, will, will come through. And we will be then exposed to what is true. And then the idol will be smashed, and what will come in its place will be an icon, which will then deliver God or the divine. Because it's either idol or icon. There's no neutral. There's no, like, kind of half-half. It's one or the other. So when you smash an idol, you only smash an idol because you don't, you don't believe it. There's, there's something else. Now, very well, you can smash one idol for the other idol, too. That's, a, that's another scenario. But, Carol. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. Holy smokes. Yeah, and, and so that's exactly right. Um, man, that, that was a good job. Good job, Carol. I, uh, that's exactly right. So when one question, like, so this is it, right? Actually, I mean, let's just play that out. I mean, for those of us who've had little children... You know, like Carol said, it's okay for me to, to knock it down since I built it, but oof, I am going to destroy you if you try to knock this down. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I love, I, it's like the revelatory thing in the introduction to me is that most of our idols are based in sort of color and anxiety. Like, and if you think about, oh, so Carol was, Carol's idol is that person feeling anxious, and if I knock them over... She's anxious, but it reduces my anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I care. Oh, that's exactly right. So, uh, and I don't know if she says it in here, somewhere in this book. She, she mentions that. She says, oh, hey, we're really good at pointing other people's idols out. But because our idols are so ingrained in us, we're just, we're just we're blind to it. We build them up to protect Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that's why it, it's exactly right. Anxiety, fear. What, this, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because. Um, yeah. Oh, man, there's nothing worse than having an empty church, right, as a pastor? <laughs> because you're a failure. That's exactly right. And Moses, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. Kill him. Because that's what they do with the prophets, Jesus says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would love to come to you. You kill the prophets. Um, and, so, and, and so I don't want to, okay, since we're going this way, so the anxiety and the fear fundamentally is fear of, of death. And this is something where a lot of people say, oh, I'm not afraid of dying, but yet you, you might know them, they have some kind of other fear in their life. That fear, though, can be traced back to death. Um, it, it, sometimes it takes a while to get there, but it, it, it does. It always results to this point. And that's why the Bible, you know, it's death, resurrection. It keeps talking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, idols will save us because they make us, yeah. Now, um, I, on the back of the page, I have, I have uh, four scripture to, to kind of contemplate 
and we've, we've almost talked about everything in these scriptures so far. Exodus 20, 21, we briefly looked at it last week uh, when Shirley brought it up. But that is where, after the Ten Commandments, so God speaks from the mountain. We're talking about certainty here, right? You know, is God present? Is he around? Is he saving us? Is he helping us? What, telling me the will, you know, what's God's will in my life? All these things we ask. God is doing all this stuff in Exodus chapter 20. He's saying, I saved you, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Now, of course, all of us would be like, that would be awesome. But the people's reactions is very, I think it's very peculiar. Because now you have a different kind of fear going on here, okay? They're, they're afraid of God. You know, this presumption that God will break into our life and help us and save us, that has a lot of idolatry attached to it. Because this happens, just based on what Scripture says, uh, the one time in the Old Testament where God does like what a lot of our insecurity, insecure questions you know, ask for, he does, and people are scared to death. They actually don't want it. Because this God is what? Too much for them. If, does anyone have it there? Go, does someone read it? Jan, just go ahead and read it. Oh, yeah, just, just 21. I read you at verse 20 then, sorry. 20? Yep. I love this whole scenario. It's so interesting. So God speaks, and they, they say, oh, it's thundering, it's like volcano, it's like a big volcano blasting off. I mean, there's really no question about what's going on here. God is present, and he is talking, loud and clear. And people said, that is too much for us. Don't let us, yeah. Now, here's the thing, though. So, isn't this interesting? Don't let him talk to us lest we die. So, what do they associate with God's word? Life or death? Yeah, and that's strange. Because they're. Well, well, yeah, why do you think, Carol? I don't know. I asked you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, these are all right questions. We have to say, say like, well, what does that even mean? So, Jan. That's right. Oh, yeah. Jacob came back. Yeah. And it is a very nice place, by the way. They may have been alone up in the land of Goshen, but they were living probably much the same lifestyle, not to the same degree. Whoa, whoa, hang on. Yeah, Marilyn, you're jumping ahead. They had their homes. They had, you know, they, they had the ability to have the cucumbers and, you know, the whole shop. Right. Right. Now the mountain's smoking at them. Yep. They're like, my God, first of all, we got to be a, you know, a nomadic people all of a sudden. They don't know how to deal with that to begin with. Right. And then Moses goes away. This is the guy who's, you know, been in Egypt getting yeah, right. this mess, and now he disappears. Forty days the man is gone. Exactly. And they're looking, you know, I guess I don't think they looked at, at Aaron as really being the one that could lead them, although Aaron was sent as the spokesman. 
Yep. Um, Aaron's the guy to talk a lot. I was in the courts, you know, evidently it didn't work in front of the people all that much. Well, yeah, so hey, God, yeah. came to him and said, okay, you know, here we are out here in the middle of nowhere, and what's going to happen to us? I mean, that's pure insecurity and anxiety. Right. Well, yeah, so, so um, exactly. So they had a very secure life in, in the land of Egypt until this Pharaoh came about who didn't know the Hebrews. And, and then he made them slaves. And, you know, then they cried out to God. God heard and remembered what he was supposed to do. And then he does it very dramatically. Uh, so basically, though, the thing is, though, is that God has the power for life and death. And they said... He's going to kill us, which which is opposite of what he said he would do. Nancy, you know, anthropologically, there is always kind of this fear of the meaningless or this great awesome unknown. And I think you know, yeah, I think there's also this feeling, you know, like you freaked out just on aliens. Right. Something so different from us. Okay, good. So, yeah, this is right. We have a fear of something that's bigger than us. Why? Why? What, what, what causes that fear? Can't understand it, but let's, let's qualify. That's it. Yeah, understanding, we mean an understanding that I can be comfortable with it so it's predictable and I know what's going to happen. You mean it's just for their daily life? That's right. They, you're going to beat. Now, here's the thing, too. Is, so what happens when uh, Moses takes them and they run into the Red Sea? What do they say to them? <laughs> Did you bring us out here to die? We should have stayed in Egypt the whole time. So it's very interesting uh, because all of us read this and we're like, but you were slaves. What, you know, what's your problem? What's the problem is that they were secure, and now they're insecure, or maybe they're just completely dependent upon something that's more than them, and they can't control it, and that's what they're freaking out about. Yep. Exactly. And, well, and, and, but, th of course, though, when you put this into the pers uh, kind of the context of, of uh, God Almighty, I've, but most of us are saying, well, how could they just not believe this? God did all these amazing things. It's precisely because he did these amazing things that it's hard to believe in because he's scary, he's bigger than us, and we can't control him, and we sure like to control things. Now, um, so Exodus 20, 21 brings us to a head because Moses goes into the presence of God, and it's darkness. It's not light like we all think about it in terms of New Testament. These are not antithetical, okay? I just want to make sure you know that. But God goes, God's in the darkness, and in the darkness, Moses can't, and when we say darkness, we mean darkness. Like, you know, go down into the cave and turn off all the lights and you can't see anything in front of you. Pure darkness. Um, and so you, you, you don't know which way is up or down. You don't know what's standing in front of you. You don't know, in terms of your sight or understanding, but where is he precisely? He knows, and so the English language breaks down here. He knows, but he knows precisely because of faith where he's at. He's in the presence of God, even though he doesn't know where he is. It's very paradoxical, but that's, that's exactly what's happening in this situation. So at this moment in Exodus, we know that God is a God, not an idol, for, for all these scenarios happening. Okay, that, but the thing is, though, like, how do we react to this? And this is Mark chapter 9, which I read today. I, I kind of went long in the chapel. I read the whole thing. But really, Mark chapter 9, verse 24 is the, the ultimate situation there. So you have a guy who has a son who, has, who uh, has had kind of a mute demon. And this demon sometimes throws him into the fire, into the water. And the disciples, uh, by the way, so Jesus goes up onto the mountain of transfiguration with James, John, and Peter. And they come back and they run into the situation where the rest of the disciples can't, can't cast this demon out. Okay? 
And Jesus says to them, not to the Father, it's important, most likely it's to the disciples, not the dad, okay? Although it could be the dad. It's, it's them. But the only them thus far is the disciples, not the, not the dad. It'd be he. He said to him, uh, Oh, faithless uh, generation, how much longer do I need to put up with you? Something like that, right? <laughs> I think he says in 20, uh, 20 through 23. Um, and he asks the dad, Hey, how long has this guy been like this? Since his childhood, you know, but if you have, you know, if you could do anything, have compassion on him. And Jesus is like, what do you, what am I, chop liver? If I can. All things are what? Possible for those who believe. Now we have to unpack that a little bit. And then what's the father's response? Unbelief. Okay. And then what happens? Jesus says, ah, I can't do anything for you. Sorry. You unbelieve. Yeah, he casts them out right away. Okay, so this is a very interesting little scenario here. Because this guy is at his wit's end. He's got, he is completely helpless. All right, he's at the point where he's got nothing. He doesn't even have Jesus, in a sense. Like, he, he, he doesn't know exactly what Jesus can do. He's not coming to Jesus to say, this is what you're going to do because this is who you are. He's not even sure who Jesus is. This is the exact opposite of what's happening in Exodus 32, where they are telling everybody what they're going to do and how God's going to act. Which, we, which is, I love this thing because, I mean, for me, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture because it reveals how... This darkness that we see in Exodus comes to manifestation in this father's life in a very real way. He is so, like he's left, he's just done. He can't do anything. And he's, he's basically, he's at the foot of, of, of God, just done. He's not making any claims on himself. He's not making any claims on God. He's just there. And that's precisely who a worshiper of God is supposed to be. And so Jesus, I mean, his unbelief, which, of course, so he has questions. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. And rather than Jesus saying, you know, hey, you got doubts and questions. Get out of here. You're not good enough. He, he heals the son. Holly. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we can't get to the belief unless we let go of our pride. But to say, I don't believe that you can actually do this is like, it's like being around something you hate. Yeah, oh, exactly. But then to be like, well, how, why would I believe? I'm just human. And to, you know, like lower myself to say, I believe. Yeah, oh, yeah, this is good. Um, because that is what happens on the cross with Jesus. Um, we can jump, well, we'll, we'll yeah, we'll, uh, we'll just talk to Holly's point here, is that, uh, so, he, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of this weird way, because what does Jesus, I mean, this is very penultimate reality on Good Friday, right? What does Jesus say from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus doesn't believe in God. I mean, kind of in a real way. Real way. I mean, he, he has doubts. God doubts God on the cross. And, but, he, but he dies. Jesus dies. He had the power to not die. So in the confession of the Father, you see it manifested in Jesus later. Is that Jesus believes, but he unbelieves at the same time. This is very strange for us as Christians. No. Oh, no, no. Now, so this, okay, good. Thanks for bringing this up, because I don't know if I actually put that in there, but I know mentally 
So what we say is, so we have this, uh, the uh, unbelief is unbelieving the God, this God who's uncontrollable and way beyond ourselves. Uh, because oftentimes, so, so like, um, hang on, did I put this in here? I, just, I should just read it. Ah, all right, I took it out. So, the, like, the sin of unbelief is the sin, you could put it in the positive. And how would you put it in the positive? Uh, yeah, so sin, sin of unbelief. You can say things positively and negatively. The sin, the sin of unbelief is the sin of... Uh, that's right. Yeah, right. Well, an idol, so using these terms, okay? Well, Jesus does. Yes. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, the, the unbelief, too, it would be kind of manifest. Let's go back to the Exodus. This might be helpful. So, Moses is in the darkness, but what does he believe in in that moment? That's it. Okay. Um, so, he doesn't really necessarily believe in anything because there's nothing there. <laughs> now why why can I say that? We're getting into like like higher like higher level philosophy here and it's real quick. You you can believe that nothing's there because if is God is is God beyond our measure? Can God be really huge? Can God be really small? Does that mean God can God can God not be there? You have to say yes to it. You have to say yes, because if you say no, then there is something God can't do. <laughs> well, yeah, so here's the thing, though. And this is where Moses is very straight. This, is, this is gets to the point, though, is um, God can be there and not there at the same time. His ways are above our ways. His, th his thoughts are not our thoughts. And, but the thing is, though, we really like to read the Bible and say we know what it means. And systematicians are, are uh, you know, we have uh, like, the, like the small catechism. And then there's explanations in the back of the small catechism. Those, for me, are, I, I don't like them. And I don't have the confirmation kids learn them. And, and that, that's, not, that's just mainly because it's safer for me. Because some of those things are just not true. Some of those answers are actually uh, wrong because they, they close the system where God has it open. They say this is what it is where God hasn't even said that. Um, and that's a big thing about coming to Lutheran for me is that Luther was saying, we say what God says and nothing more. So it, there is a lot of questions that I get from people, and I always say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, because God didn't say. You know, why, why does this happen? Why does that happen? And frankly, I don't know because God doesn't tell me. Or, or questions about, like, uh, uh, the last time this happened, most recently, was, like, questions about angels. And there's, like, so much stuff about, like, that's not even, like, in the Bible about angels. And so I'm like, well, I don't, that's not what the Bible says. Well, you know, it's, anyways, so I don't know, I don't know. Well, yeah, well, yeah, because we, right, again, this goes back to the, the, there's no questions with idols, because it's very clear. You got this thing up. And we're, okay, so, so anyways, but the thing is, though, is that faith, faith is, is a very, very peculiar thing.
Um, and this is where I quote T.S. Eliot, or, uh, well, I, I quote T.S. Eliot from the East Cooker, Coker, I should say. Uh, but yeah, the Gregorian is said, concepts create idols, only wonder comprehends anything. But if you wonder about it, I mean, this is the thing. I wonder. That's interesting. So people say, do you know what that means? I don't know. I wonder. It, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit paradoxical. Hopefully you understood that one yet. Um, people kill over idols. Wonder makes us fall on our knees. I, I like that quote. So inherent to wonder is questioning. If you wonder, I think, I don't know, if maybe I use this word. Did I use this in a sermon? Wonder means I wonder. Or, oh, wondrous star, this wondrous dealio, like, woo. Um, so faith in darkness, faith in doubt, and faith in the unseen. Oh, yeah, we didn't read the rest of the, the scriptures there. But, um, so faith has room for darkness, doubt, and uncertainty, because to put it in the positive, there's always more. Idols, there is an edge, and it's done. It, it holds your, your uh, gaze. Oh, yeah, there's a nice quote here. An idol is created to satisfy our gaze, and idols are ultimately mirrors, various forms of self-idolatry and self-deception. By contrast, an, is not, an icon is not limited to what is visible on the surface, but summons sight in letting the visible. This is a quote from uh, Jean-Luc Marion. Be saturated little by little with the invisible. Christ himself is the norm of the icon. Like Christ, the icon is neither a sign of an absent reality, nor a wholly present reality that can be mastered by the gaze. Instead, the icon is a trace of presence. You know it's there, but it's not there. <laughs> now, this, is, this seems very peculiar for a lot of us because we always, we, you know, but I know where God is. Where is God in the earth? I, I asked this question to the confirmation kids, I think, two weeks ago. Where do you go? Or maybe three, yeah, where we talked about knowing where God is. Where do I know God is? In the scripture. The word and sacraments. Now let's talk about that a little bit. Do you, okay, but, so if I come in a church, it looks like it's a big old bucket of water there. What would you say to that, Marilyn? The baptismal font. We're going to start with, as I walk into the church. Oh, Okay. All right, excellent, okay. It's not just plain water, it's water in the word. Baptism is not just plain water. There you go. Good job. Then, uh, but I hear this guy talking up there, and it just sounds kind of like he's just talking regular words. But what would you say to that? Well, either side, actually. I would not make a distinction. Let's say he's at the lectern. Sounds like human words. I can understand every word coming out of that guy's mouth. Sounds like just a regular book. What would you say to that, Marilyn? <laughs> it, 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 it takes faith to oh, yeah, slow down, though. Okay, good. That's right. That's right. Uh, man, it looks like it's just some cracker and what is that, wine in there? Oh, and, and. Well, what, what, so... But you say God is there? That doesn't look like God. <laughs> but for all of us here, we're like, yeah, exactly right. That's it. Bam, right there. Bam. He's in the font. He's in the word. And he's, he's at the altar. It's just wine when you pour it in the cup. But when God speaks, it happens. That's right. Okay, but the thing is, though, is that, so this is where, I, did I put this in here? I have my like longer version. I should have just brought that with. Um, I don't want to staple any more pages together. So, <laughs> sacraments are also called in, in, well, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. What are they called? They don't call them sacraments. They call them what? In the early church, what do you say? Mysteries. Did I write that in here somewhere? Oh, good. Okay, yeah. Sacraments are called mysteries. So you are certain about mystery, and mystery kind of by nature of what a mystery is, is a bit uncertain. Okay, this is right. So this goes back to the Moses and the Father 
faith, you, you, faith is full of questions, full of doubts. You cannot control it. You cannot manipulate it. Faith at, at one time is everything, but faith is also nothing. It's no thing. No thing. Like that darkness. Oh, I don't know about that. I think children are full of questions. Why is that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that. I don't know. <laughs> Barb, I, I understand what you're, you're saying. So there's the thing, though, is that I, I unless we got to push it a little bit farther, is because faith. Now, I, I should have I should have qualified my word faith because we have kind of two meanings of faith, right? You have like the content of faith, like uh, the faith. Hey, do you believe in the Christian faith? And then we have kind of faith in terms of. I have faith in something. And I, I'm mainly talking about this second one. I have faith in something. Um, so, uh, anyways, so the child, like, you have to have faith like a child. Because nobody knows exactly what that means. Because Jesus doesn't really say this. We're kind of left to ourselves to kind of figure it out. Okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, of course, part of it is, uh, you know, this, this questioning aspect. But uh, children. Uh, presume that they don't know everything. Now, of course, they might tell you what, how to do things, right? Perfect, exactly. Because he doesn't really understand what's going on. So, um, yeah, and so faith, faith ha is filled with uncertainty. And this is the great thing is that as you meditate upon this a little bit longer with respect to Jesus, and most especially the passion of the Christ, so you start with Monday, Thursday, and walk it all the way through the resurrection. You see that Jesus has great faith, but at the same time, it is filled with questions, doubts, and uncertainties. And I, then I would say the application for us is the church is precisely the place where you go and you lay those uncertainties, those doubts, and those questions at the foot of the cross. Unfortunately, people most often think that the church is the place where you come to have your ideas affirmed, your beliefs affirmed, and you come to not ask questions but be told what to believe. And you are told, you are, you are told the mystery of the faith, which a lot of times is very peculiar. It doesn't make sense. Um, and when I say it doesn't make sense, it, in this mysterious aspect. Not that it, you know, it's contradictory. But there's, there's so many things that it, it's, it's this darkness that Moses keeps going into and, uh, but that, that's precisely why it's not an idol. Carol, and we got, I got to go, we got to go. There's a great quote that I love from the movie, Jake Curry Long. Okay. There's different things that happen, and this, this one character, this one, they say, well, they say that there's no place on the lawn or whatever, and well, it, it, it's exactly right. I think, I, I think I said here, though, myth of certainty, mystery of faith, and how idols are overcome. The last little point, experiencing the trauma of the cross. That is how you get over idols. Okay? And I think a lot of us actually, at certain times in our life, maybe have experienced that. Um, where you, you, I mean, Paul talks about that, being crucified. Jesus says, take up your cross. You, you experience the, the trauma of the cross because that is, that's where death happens. Death in the sense that you can be reborn into what God actually has created you to be. But All right, well, good. Well, I, uh, I, this is, uh, we didn't really talk about icons. We didn't talk about the positive aspect too much. Uh, and maybe we'll... We'll get into that maybe next week a little bit. We talked about the negative a lot, idols, but what's the, what's the opposite? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.